We're going to be in Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. We'll be in a, in a couple of verses there. We're continuing our series on the temptation of Christ, temptation of Jesus. And uh, we a couple of weeks ago, we did our overview when we talked about the, the, the three temptations that Jesus went through. But now we're going to go through them bit by bit. There's a lot to learn through these couple of verses. So I want to read it to you. It's in chapter 4, verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we just come right now in the name of your, your Son, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence, to be in, in the house. Father, the house of God. And Lord, we just thank you for the worship experience that we've already had. God, we thank you for your presence. Lord, I ask that you would be with this message, that you would be with every person here to receive. Father, that their eyes would be open, their ears would be unstopped, God, and they would see your glory in your word. Father, we thank you for your holy word. God, we ask that you would allow us to have insight to apply it in our, in our lives. And Father, that we would know you in a more intimate and more powerful way. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And amen. So as we get back, the overview, when we talked about temptation, what we talked about, if, if you were here, was our identity. Adam and Eve lost our identity in the garden, remember? But Jesus came on a mountain in the Judean wilderness and, and literally overcame those temptations. And I, I believe when you look at those verses, it's a picture. Everything that Jesus did was a picture of something supernatural, something spiritual that he would, that, that he, like he healed sick people, but he was teaching a spiritual principle. Now we talked about temptation basically comes in three forms. In other words, Jesus was never tempted to run a red light. Amen. There was no cars in, okay. <laughs> But basically, you could take all the temptations and ball them down to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, now based on identity, is performance. In other words, it is what I do. Instant gratification. And that's where sometimes we would try to get our identity. And Christ already had his identity because the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he said that before he ever healed someone, before he ever raised the dead and before the cross. Amen? The second thing that we talked about is the lust of the eyes. Possession. I am my possessions. I have to have more and more and covetousness. And, and we put all of our faith in the stuff that we can accumulate. That's why when, when, when Satan told Jesus, you can have all these kingdoms. You can have these possessions. And then the third one was the boastful pride of life. In other words, popularity or position. I am what people say I am. I am the position that I have at work. I'm the position in the community. It, my popularity is, is hinged upon how I feel about myself. Remember, Jesus didn't do all these things to gain popularity. He did everything he did to be uh, honored by the Lord, by God Almighty. So tonight I want to take a closer look at Jesus' first temptation, but I want to see how he counteracted it. What did he know about his weapon? It shows us what we should know about ours. Okay, we're going to go through this a little quickly because I have quite a bit. 
from these two verses, but uh, I want you to just keep up, all right? Okay. This is why we went over the overview, the identity. Because once you know your identity in Christ, you can now use your weapon. You see, I'm not some dude who reads a Bible. I'm a child of God, and I have the full weight and power of heaven when I swing my sword, backing the words. Amen? And so do you. You are a child of God. When, when Satan comes at you, he is coming at royalty. And when you understand that, you will step out in faith and say, you know what? I am a child of God. I don't have to be pushed around by the powers of darkness. Now, let's look at the verse. Luke 4, 3. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, we see Satan speaking here. This is one of three times that he is recorded speaking in the Bible. He slithered into the garden and spoke with Eve. Then he went before God and spoke to God about Job and during these temptations. Now listen, Satan cannot be in multiple places at one time. He's not omnipresent. So when we say powers of darkness, I will say Satan because that is the authority in which these, these demon powers will operate in, in the way that darkness, and the Bible talks about it in Ephesians. However, he probably hung out with Hitler. You know, wanted to kill six million Jews. So I'm sure the devil is not lazy. He's just, he goes where there, there's power. But the Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter six. If you've been with us for the last, I believe, five Sundays, we've been in Ephesians, which is a great study. And in Ephesians six twelve, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. So we are at war. You and I are at war in our personal lives as a collective group of the body of Christ. But what Satan does is he takes truth and he wraps a lure of bait with deception and dangles it before us. Now remember, God split the heavens and spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, no doubt Satan was peeking through the bushes and saw that. Because you remember when Jesus leaves, when he leaves the, the Jordan, he leaves the dove and he comes face to face with the devil. And he is on this mountain. And this is actual picture of the Judean wilderness. You know, when I was growing up, <clears throat> There was a saying that, that, that I would hear in church and was like, we miss heaven from 18 inches, your head to your heart. How many of you heard that? I just want to, maybe Billy Graham said that or something because I've, I've heard it quoted all the time growing up. And Satan knew that he was the son of God. Remember, we talked about this in the overview a couple of weeks ago. It literally says, since you're the son of God, a fulfilled condition because you are the son of God. Make these stones become bread. So the first subtle deception and temptation is to put the flesh first. Now listen with it. Listen to this. It says it was an attempt to put a physical desire above a spiritual purpose. Now notice I didn't say a physical desire over a spiritual desire. In the case, in this case, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for a purpose of fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. So sometimes there is a purpose that will things will be permitted in your life. 
Some things are not necessarily sin, but God doesn't want you to do them for a specific purpose. And I'll get to that in a minute. So Satan was saying, since you're a son of God, there's no need to fast. After all, maybe he told him, why don't you exercise your Christian liberty? You know, why don't you, why don't you, you know, you're, you're God's son. You don't have to fast. We, everybody knows that you're all powerful. But this is what he'll do. He'll heap religious condemnation by making religious, uh, uh, fasting a religious act. And this is how he'll do it. If you want God to do something for you, fast. And so that's a good thing. Fasting is good, but it, let it be directed by the Spirit. Because what will happen is we'll fast, and, and, and we think because we're fasting, we're going to get something from God. So we fast for everything, and we may be praying for something that's not necessarily in the will of God for us. And then when it doesn't come to pass, we say, well, fasting doesn't work. But then at the second time, Satan will flip it. And if you're praying for someone and they pass away or there's the sickness stays and they die, then Satan will say, if you would have fasted, maybe God would have healed them. So you get on a treadmill of religious works. And next thing you know, you're, you're running yourself in the ground. But I'll give you an example. These three days of prayer and fasting. Pastor Todd prayed about it. He felt like the Lord wanted us to do that. So we're following a spiritual purpose, and we should expect God to do miraculous things because we're fasting for a purpose. Now, remember, Jesus would soon multiply bread and fish. He would turn water into wine. But the issue was not, it was not his time yet. See, we as children of God sometimes try to get ahead from, uh, ahead of God. And sometimes God will call us to abstain from something. I'll give you an example. When I gave my life to Jesus, God specifically told me that I needed to take a break from my friends. These were my best friends growing up. And the reason, and I know the Lord wanted me to do that, is because the influence was too strong for me. I would want to be around them and want to do what they were doing. So God wanted me to abstain from them so I can build these spiritual disciplines where I would be able to stand against these things. My friends were not bad people. We all did things, and we had fun doing them. But the issue is God didn't tell me to formulate a doctrine of isolation, and now to get saved, you got to stay away from people. So it was not necessarily a sin. God knew that is what I needed. And we hang out today, me and my friends, and we're all in good places. We have a great time. So I'm just telling you, God may tell you to abstain from something because of the purpose that he has for your life. It could be as simple as God telling you to wake up early to spend time with him. You know, but we don't form a a doctrine and say, well, do you want the Lord to speak? You got to wake up between six and seven. Right? David was going to be king, but he was... Uh, anointed but not yet appointed for the position. The enemy will try to discourage us through impatience, and he'll put us on this treadmill. You know, I thank God that I got saved in 99 and it got into full-time ministry a couple of years ago because God knows I would have been destroyed with the things that are dealt with in ministry. 
And as well as you, you may be further along in your Christian walk and you're dealing with things that you did not necessarily deal with in the beginning of your walk because God has now empowered you and equipped you to handle things. You see, God will develop you and give you shoulders to carry things that he is calling you to pick up. You know, some Christians, they come to the altar, they give their life to Jesus, and as soon as they get back to the 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 the, uh, the pew, they're preaching at you, they're going to work preaching fire and condemnation at people. Kind of, I call them bottle rocket Christians. They just come out, and then gets, you know, smoky or whatever. But I believe God wants us to have this passion that is a consuming fire that continues on. We don't eat too much too quick. We don't give steaks to babies, and we don't burp adults. <laughs> well, some may. But listen, who God calls, he equips every time. So if God is calling you some, to do something, and it seems huge, it's probably God. Because God wants you to carry something that he's called you to carry, but I promise you, he will give you the strength, power, and ability, and he will always be there with you as you carry it. Number two, another lie or deception is Christianity is about you. Remember, Satan was saying, you're the son of God. Since you're the son of God, this was a way of Jesus to elevate his power over his purpose. In other words, trying to cause this unity amongst the Trinity. Satan will say, look out for yourself, right? No one else is going to look out for you. You need to look out for yourself. And Jesus didn't say, you know what? I'm Jesus. I don't have to deal with this. He didn't, ha- he didn't come down to heaven and say, you know what? I'm not going to fast. I got a little protein bar here. He didn't do that. He fasted and prayed throughout the whole time. He didn't say, my father will understand. But he didn't take the entitlement mentality either. You see, Jesus paved the way for you and I to walk. Jesus had God's mission and his plan and purpose at the forefront of everything that he did. See, we have a new relationship with Christ when we come to him, but we also have a new relationship with the flesh, right, and with sin. We shouldn't want to do the same things that we did. I remember trying to do that. And man, I would be so convicted and I'd be with my friends. Uh, Well, this was before I got saved when the Lord was really drawing me. And I'd be like, dude, y'all don't feel bad for doing this? And they were like, no, I don't feel bad. And I would go home and just be devastated. I'd I'd feel the weight. But I knew my mom and dad were praying. (laughs) You know, those German shepherds were coming. And I'm like, man, y'all not getting bit? (laughs) But... It was the Lord wooing me and drawing me as my spirit was coming alive. And then another thing Satan will tell you, oh, go ahead and do what you want to do because grace will be waiting for you. You know, it's the same lie, really, that the, the, the church was dealing with in Romans. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Listen, Christian liberty is a slippery slope if the sled is the flesh. <laughs> I mean, really, our flesh is a cunning lawyer. Our flesh will tell us every reason why. Our flesh will make this case, and we'll be sitting here like, man, 
you're right. I should be able to do this and do that. And like I said earlier, it may not necessarily be something sinful. It's just what God is calling us to do. You see, we're called to be saved, but we're also called in to, to be in mission with the Lord. It's not an option. We're saved by grace to display grace and to walk our faith out. Listen, God didn't call us to light a fire, put it under a bushel so we could warm ourselves. The very light that we receive, we're to rush into the darkness with and light up everything around us. Now, some some will say, well, that's just the fear of man. You know, if you, if you got to watch what you're doing because of other people, I call it the love of the gospel and the love of God's people. So I said all that to say, whatever the Lord is showing you about situations in your life, just obey him. He will bless you. He will show you things that you do not yet know. I want to encourage you. You know, Paul, I think of the situation with Paul. He was witnessing to the Gentiles, and he wouldn't eat meat for the Gentiles. It wasn't for the Gentiles' sake. It was for the Jewish people's sake because the Jewish people were keeping the dietary laws. So Paul would eat meat, or he would not eat meat, not because of the Gentiles, but because of the Jews. But, you know, I'm thinking of Timothy, and I was reading this today. Paul... You know, the, the question of circumcision came up in Galatians, and Titus was a Gentile, and he didn't have to get circumcised. Praise God. I'm sure we know what that is, right? Okay. Now, as an adult, I bet you it's not the best practice. Poor Timothy. Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, you're going to need to be a good representative to the Jewish people. Now, listen. Salvation does not come in circumcision, but it surely will open the door for you to talk to the Jews. And I'm sure Timothy was, you know, in his teens. <laughs> and so Paul had Timothy circumcised now. I mean, how about that for Christian liberty? <laughs> but I said all that to say Paul was worried about who he would bring to, to the gospel. See, we don't write off religious folk. You know, Pharisees, Jesus was still trying to reach Pharisees. He was still trying to, to reach religious people. He was trying to reach the lost, the Gentile, the Jew, the barbarian. Paul was trying to reach everyone. And so I look at things in my own life. I see it that way. I could do some things, and some things are good, you know, but I don't want to push away other people. So I, you know, I, I look at that when, when I'm dealing with unforgiveness or something like that. What do I want God to do with me? I want him to forgive me. So if I can't find a verse for something, I just say, you know, will it master me? Will it be something in my life that will cause somebody to stumble? Will it cause me to stumble? So I look at things in that context. And the same thing when it comes to applying grace for someone. Would I want that person holding something against me? So you see, you can have the motivation of your relationship with God to fuel every aspect of your life. And I believe that's a good way when you can't find a verse for something. God, what do you want me to do here? Amen? Philippians 4, 11, and 11 says, For I have learned to be content in every circumstance. You see, we have to learn how to be content. Paul didn't just, 
you know, it was through the, the, the times in jail where he would write his letters. It was during these different moments in his life that he learned how to be content. And listen, when you are content with the circumstances that come your way, there is nothing that the devil can do to you because you always know that God has a purpose and he has a plan. Listen, discontentment is the most fertile ground for sin. When you become discontent, you can bet your flesh will begin to rise up and say, you know what you should do here? So I want to encourage you, don't listen to the flesh. Number four, temptation to use power for himself. Now, this may be a little bit of meddling, uh, but I'm going to go at it anyway, okay? Now, some people will manipulate the people of God for their own agenda. You know... To fuel an insecurity. I've seen husbands rule their wife, rule their house with a rod of iron and call it the Bible. I mean, they come to church, talk King James English, and go home and beat their spouse. This is not spirituality. This is not Christianity. You've been hijacked in deception. Listen, it doesn't matter if we could quote every verse what does our life look like with the people that are around us? Are we walking this gospel out as Pastor Todd spoke about this past Sunday, which was a great message? It's a, he said, putting blue jeans on our Christianity. I've seen over-possessive people rule their spouse. And, and, and you know, they, we use this verse during weddings, you know, husbands love your wives. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like some of, I saw some of y'all cringing. But really, that is a healthy way if it's not abused. God blesses that. Now listen, Jesus would go and perform some of the most miraculous miracles ever heard of. Satan was trying to get him to use his power for himself. You know, some people have strengths. Like they have music ability. I have zero of that. <laughs> zero. Some people have the ability to teach. Some people have the ability to lead. Some people have all of these gifts. The question is, are you using them for God? Are you using this power that the Lord has given you for his glory? What area of strength do you have that can be used to devastate the kingdom of darkness? Because God will use that thing, I'm telling you, to do the miraculous in your life. And if you come to, to, uh, to our, our growth track, we do our spiritual gifts test. And listen, it'll tell you how you're wired. Husband and wives love to do that together. <laughs> They're like, well, that's why you talk to me the way you do. <laughs> but when you do that, you learn the spiritual gifts that God has already put in you from the foundation of the world. And, he give, and you learn how you use that gift. So I, that's why we always encourage you to, to enter in through growth track. Now, number five. The temptation to doubt God's love. You know, this is, a, this is a good one for many Christians, right? Does God really love me? If God loves me, why this and that is happening? But listen, there's, there's a backstory to this verse that Jesus is quoting. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. But when you understand the context, it brings this entire statement into a new light. Let's bring it into context. This was literally a jab at God. You know, Satan loves to jab God, and I love to jab Satan. Amen, don't you? Deuteronomy 8, 
2 and 3, 2 through 3, it says, You shall remember all the way the Lord, which the Lord God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, and that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now think a bit, think about this. Satan was trying to compare the children of Israel, their situation, to Jesus' situation. Turn these stones to bread. After all, your father fed rebellious children for 40 years, and yet here you are with your obedient self starving in this wilderness. The temptation from Satan was to compare. Look at them and look at you. You know, we got to be careful not to judge God's goodness based on the things that God does in other people's lives that he doesn't do for you. We have different purposes, different plans, different testimonies. And so we can't judge God's goodness based on what he's doing in someone else's life. Amen. We're on our own journey and our journey is a beautiful journey. And when we get before God on the day of judgment, which I cannot wait for, the Bema seat, when we get rewarded, we're going to look at this thing, and God is perfect, He is almighty, and He will show you this picture of your life, and it will all make sense. There will be no more questions. You'll see when this didn't work out because this person came into the kingdom. Amen? Those are the things that will matter in heaven. So I can tell you right now, you might be in a mystery. You might be going through something. Can I encourage you to lay that down at the feet of Jesus and say, I trust you no matter what happens in my life. And when I get on the other side, this will make perfect sense. And I will love the fact that you allowed this to happen in my life. Now listen, they were, they, were, they were fed for 40 years and yet fell away. Jesus starved for 40 days and inherited it all. The manna falling from heaven was a picture of the one Satan was tempting. It goes back to identity. Jesus was the bread that came down out of heaven to feed all of us. Now let's look at the counterattack. The counterattack is my favorite part of this. And Jesus answered him, it is written. It is written. Forty days. Remember I told you that some scholars say that he might have been tempted the entire 40 days because it's a present tense verb. So in other words, he could have been tempted for the full 40 days and they just recorded three or he could have just been tempted three times. So that's not to split hairs. But if he was tempted the entire time, wow. Right? Now think about this. We face daily temptations, battles, actions that come upon us and around us. But we are armed to deal with these things because we know our identity. Now we need to know how to use our sword. Do you remember this show? Okay. Yeah, but it's not too old. <laughs> I don't like to bring up age type stuff because people get, okay. Y'all remember, remember that show, The Greatest American Hero? Oh, yeah, you heard, I love nostalgia. I love the 80s. It plays on TV, by the way. I'm not putting a plug. It plays even today. I try to watch it with my wife, but she doesn't want to watch it. But I said all of that to say, the greatest American, and I have the box set. And you press it, uh, you press the, the corner, it says, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Remember that song? Okay. 
I'm just having fun, sorry. But in this show, the, the first episode, they're in this spaceship. I don't believe in that spaceship, so I'm not saying that. But they, it's, there's, there's the, the guy and there's a cop. And then they go, they're in this desert and the spaceship shows up and it drops a suitcase with a, uh, a suit in it. Remember that? It's a red suit. It's not the best suit. That's before, you know, all the, uh, the, I guess, uh, I don't know what I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble. It kind of looks like a big onesie, I guess you could say. <laughs> but anyway, I said all of that to say, he picks up the suit. He's like, wow. And so they go back to the car. And as he's walking, the manual falls out. <laughs> oh, yeah. The manual falls out. So he puts on the suit. And now he can fly. But he hits the side of buildings. He'll run into somebody's window. He'll hit a car. He, he goes around clumsily. He has power, but he doesn't know how to use it. So I, th I think of that as the greatest American news. We come to church on Sunday. We hear a verse. We remember that verse. But we clumsily go throughout the week because we're throwing that one verse at another situation. And we should know what the book says so we can arm ourselves with what is needed in that situation. See, we have resources to pull from. Look how Jesus addresses it. It, it. He said, and it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, Jesus could have turned that stone into one of those Texas roadhouse hot bread. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. But he didn't. <laughs> he didn't do that. But I want to say something here. It wasn't a one-time shot. Because that's what we do. We try to throw scripture at something. And when it doesn't pan out, we say, well, the Bible doesn't work. Listen, I'm not saying that quoting a scripture will change the hunger problem for Jesus in this situation. But what I am saying, it was the confidence and assurance of having the most important bread, which fueled his spiritual hunger that was overriding his fleshly need. You see, sometimes our situation won't change even if we hammer it with scripture, but it fuels the faith to change the perception of your need. I've had to walk that out so many times in my life, so I'm telling you that. I had to write it down because I didn't know how to explain it. But I'm telling you that is 100% accurate. It does not matter what you are going through, God will help you. He will get it. He will get you through it. You quote scripture, you read the Bible and you expect the best scenario in every situation. And you will see that God is faithful no matter what we deem faithful. We, we say it's faithful when it turns out the way we want, but God is faithful all the time. So number one, what did he know about the word of God? He, he believed in it wholeheartedly. Matthew 4, 4. This is a, this is something that Luke leaves out. It says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Je literally, Jesus believed every single word of the Bible. Second Peter 1.20 says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or for our human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. 
God, by inspiration, moved on every writer and he used their mind and used their faculties to write out the Bible. Because some will say, oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. That's 100% false. There is no contradictions in the Bible. You cannot find one. And listen, if you find something that seems to counteract, this is what the problem is. It's a matter of context interpretation or linguistic change over time but the original text is perfect listen we saw the dead sea scrolls while we were in israel on the uh in this museum and it's word for word for the book of isaiah and if you saw the trouble that scribes went into to make sure they were copying the right scriptures it would blow your mind they would literally be around this table and if they even made a mistake they would throw it away and burn, they would burn the, the, what they wrote so it wouldn't get out. That's how holy people viewed the Bible. The Bible is 100% accurate in prophecy. In prophecy, though, listen, this is the funnest time to live because you can read the Bible in the newspaper and you will see it unveil before your eyes. Bible prophecy is being fulfilled to the nth degree perfectly when you read the book of Daniel and you see the nations that came the empires that came one after the other one took out the other one the symbolism is the same symbolism that we even see today God is amazing and he allows us to read his word this is no accident everything is being planned exactly how God planned it to be. Listen, there's no white erase board in heaven. There's no eraser. There's no emergency meetings. God is on his throne. He sees everything happening in the world. He sees everything happen in your life. He's not sweating. He's not nervous. He's not wringing his hands, waiting on us to make a move. He knows exactly what he's doing, and it's for his glory and for your good. These are some scriptures that I read when I start to get worried or nervous. And I want to tell you, read you these scriptures because I want you to take your destiny and keep that in mind as we read them. For I alone am God, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. And there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. I do whatever I wish. It doesn't, no need to be voted on. God doesn't get brought before a committee. Psalms 33, 10, and 11. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plan of his heart from generation to generation. I like that part. Because he has nothing evil in his heart. God is, everything God, he is good. Everything that happens comes out of a good place because there is no bad in God, no shadow of turning. Look what it says in Isaiah 14, 24, and 27. It will happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. Look what it says in verse 25. I will break the Assyrians when they are in Israel, and I will trample them on my mountains. My people will no longer be their slaves nor bow down under their heavy load. I have a plan for the whole earth, a hand of judgment upon all the nations. The Lord of heaven's armies has spoken. Who can change his plans? When he raises his hand, who can stop him? When Satan comes at you, he cannot change God's plan for you. That's why I wanted to read that to you. 
I know we got into some judgment part, and you know, I know some people are sweating with that. <laughs> but listen, it's going to be perfect. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Look, this is one of the most comforting scriptures you will read if God is on the throne of your heart. Job, Job 23, 13 and 14, whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. Amen. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. See, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, this word continues to work in you who believe. The, the question is, do you believe? That's the, that's the key that Jesus knew about the Bible. It wasn't just the verse he was quoting. It was coming from a resource. Remember, I found it ironic that it says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy that they had food that no one knew of. But Jesus said he had food that no one knew of. Remember that? 2 Timothy 3.16, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. He believed the Bible without exception. And then Jesus would say things like, the word of God will stand. It will not be one jot or tittle that will pass away until the law is fulfilled. I looked this up. You know what this means? Like we have the letter I with the dot. Well, they have words in their Hebrew, and even that dot will not be moved. There's letters. It's called, there's one of them called a, a, the, the seraph. And it's a line in between, cause some of the letters look alike, but there'll be a little small line or a small hyphen. Jesus is saying that will not even be moved. Can I tell you, we serve a good God who knows everything that we can put our full faith and assurance in and know that he will work everything out. So there's no need to toss and turn on your bed, drinking Maalox. Go to bed, go to sleep, wake up and, and get ready for God to do good things in your life. Amen. As we're looking down the road in our nation and nations around the world, don't get sidetracked worrying about two parties. Trust that God's going to work it out and it's going to be part of his plan. And when the last shot is fired, you in here will be 100% victorious. Amen. Then Jesus said, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Why did he say that? In the Hebrew Old Testament, it went from Genesis to 2 Chronicles. So what he was saying during that time is, from the blood of Abel to Zechariah, he was literally saying, from point A to Z, it will happen as God said. Then he tells us in, in John 16, 13, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak of the truth which is to come. You know what that tells us? He was walking out the New Testament. That was not yet written. So Jesus is telling us that we can experience God from Genesis to Revelation. So no matter where you are, you pick up the Bible, read and believe what God says about you. Amen. And we know that God's word is perfect. Remember, Jesus was born to Mary. She, she was, and I know we get into some trouble here, but. Mary was not sinless. She was blessed among women, but God placed Jesus in Mary. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And she had Jesus, okay? And Jesus walked sinless, perfect. So he is the living word. He did the same thing by overshadowing 
the, the writers for the written word. So the written word is just as perfect as the living word, which is Jesus. Jesus said it. He is the bread that came from heaven. And so Jesus was able to come to this earth, live a perfect life, be born of a virgin, and walk this earth, die for the sin of mankind, which is us, rise and go to heaven, and now you and I put our faith and trust in what he's accomplished, and our destiny is the same. Listen, there is nothing better. There's no greater news than that. He also believed that this was the highest authority. Jesus didn't say, in a book it's written. He just flat out said, it is written. It is written. And another thing that we know, because there's other things, but Jesus quoted the Old Testament. He said, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah. He didn't look at that as a fictional story. He said he would be in the heart of the earth as Jonah was in the heart. Remember? So he didn't say, well, I was figment of imagination or this. He quoted, he quoted Moses. He quoted David. So you need to know that you can put your faith in the word of God and expect it to work in your life. Now, can we stand? Amen. This is the fifth point, and this is the last point. He knew the Bible was invincible. Listen, think about this. Jesus could have called the angels down, and you know them angels had a bone to pick with Satan, right? So easily it could have been New Iberia or Bro Bridge or Lafayette, because Nathan has a Lafayette, got some hands. <laughs> But listen with Jesus. He used the word of God. Listen, the word of God is like a cannon being fired at a mosquito. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the, it's like a giant granite block falling on a small glass figurine, a fire in a fuzz factory. The word of God literally can devour through the power of the Holy Spirit, any situation in your life. Jesus, that's what he used. He could have used anything, but he chose to use the word of God. So I'm telling you that, that you are not powerless. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the authority of the blood of Christ, and you have the word of God that you could swing at any demon that comes your way. It'll cut through any lie like a hot knife on butter. Amen. So I just want to say, if you do not know the author of this book, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him. And you watch what I'm telling you. When you receive Jesus, you begin to understand the Bible. It, your eyes will open. You will read the Bible when you're going through a situation. And it's like the Bible is reading you. Your eyes will fill with hot tears as you cannot believe God is telling me what to do in my situation that is crippling me. But I want to encourage you, if you are here and you can say, I've not met Jesus Christ, I just want you to lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you to receive the Lord. And I promise you, you will walk away from here changed. Amen. If you are here and you do not know Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, everybody here is... Okay, I see your hand. 
Let's pray. I want the entire church to pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. I confess that I have sinned, that I've broken your laws. I'm sorry. I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did at the cross for me. I repent. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. I am born again. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise. Praise you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a, a card with a green strip on it. We just want you to fill it out and we have a gift for you. Listen, I want to pray that the Lord would give you a hunger and desire for his word. Amen. Father, I just come right now. And Father, I know that it is your desire to speak to your people. God, I pray that you would give them an unquenchable desire, God, that will never be put out. God, that tonight will be the night that they say, I see the Bible totally different and I will walk in the authority of the written word. Father, I thank you that their eyes are opening, their hearts are opening to receive, their minds are understanding this holy book of your truths, God. Father, I thank you right now that your truth will rest on the mind, will rest in their hearts and rest in their souls. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Give God a hand of praise. Amen. Praise you, God. Well, listen, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you. If not, have a great night.